Good morning, everyone. Let's come on in and worship the Lord together this morning on Father's Day. Let's all stand this morning. All hail the power of Jesus' name. derives its name, we come before you as your grateful children. We're grateful not only for what you do for us, but because we are amazed that we are your children at all. We admit that we do not deserve to be part of your family, but because of your initiative, you undertook to do what was necessary to bring us, though we were far from you, to bring us to yourself through the person and work of God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. His life and death made it possible for us to be adopted into your family and have not only a relationship with you, but a close relationship with you as you bid us to call you Abba, Father. Father, your love and care for your children is the model that we fathers are to follow in carrying out the blessed task that you've assigned to us in raising the families you've given us for you. But we admit our failure to model you in our homes and we ask you to forgive us based on the blood of Christ that covers our sin. And we ask you to instruct us today so that we can be the fathers that you called us to be. You have created that desire within us, and that's why we are here. And so we ask you to use this time to mold us into men that reflect you in our God-given roles. We have come to worship you as our Father, and we ask that you will be pleased and accept our worship worship that is offered to you as an audience of one. And we ask this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and all of God's people said, amen. Thank you. Please be seated. What do 90% of homeless and runaway children 
85% of children with behavioral disorders, 71% of high school dropouts, 75% of youth in drug abuse centers, and 85% of all youth in prison have in common? They all come from fatherless homes. There are over 25 million kids right now growing up in a home without their dad. And for them, Father's Day is just another fatherless day. But it doesn't have to be this way. The numbers show that children with involved fathers have higher self-esteem, better grade point averages, and they grow up to become the most compassionate adults. Dads, we are vital. The role we play is world-changing. God has given us the ability to completely rewrite the future, not only for our sons and daughters, but for the millions of girls and boys who are right now living without a dad. Now is the time to step up. Our kids need us more than ever. The fatherless need us more than ever. There are kids in this building right now who need a man of God in their lives, a role model, a mentor, someone to say, I'm proud of you, someone to have their back, someone to affirm them, someone to show the love of Christ to them. Not just anyone, not just a friend. They need a man. So to all the dads out there, reflecting Jesus to their kids, willing to stand up for the abandoned and giving it all for their family. We say thank you. God is changing the world through you. Your impact will reach further than you can ever imagine. So be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. Happy Father's Day. I'd like to welcome everyone this morning to Community Bible Church. Welcome especially to our guests. Thank you for coming today. We'll be mentioning uh, several ministries of our church this morning, and I want to let you know that you can learn more about any of these, or you can submit a prayer request or inquire about anything by texting CBC Connect to 97000. That's CBC Connect to 97000. The latest episode of our weekly podcast, That's a Good Question, is now posted as it is every Saturday at 2 p.m. Since Pastor Ken was away at a church planning conference this week, Pastor Rich joined Pastor Larry for, dis for a discussion of the question, how important is serving in the church? You'll definitely want to check out that important discussion. This week's Church Matters blog continues the discussion began in last week's post on the important subject of forgiveness. This week's article is titled, The Forgiven Forgive. Be sure to check it out if you haven't already. There are several uh, upcoming events to which I'd like to call your attention. You can register for any of these or acquire about anything I mentioned by texting CBC Connect to 97000. Our community groups that are home groups meet uh, regularly on the first and third Sundays of each month. But because it's Father's Day today, community groups will not meet tonight. Church family camp starts tonight. Please pray for safe travel for those heading to camp today and that the time away together will serve to strengthen relationships and encourage one another for service together towards our mission in the months to come. This Saturday is the graduation party for Patrick Charbonneau. The entire church family is invited. Patrick's party will be here at the Ministry Center from noon to 4 p.m. Further out, a little further out, this summer our 9th through 12th grade students will be traveling to Pentwater, Michigan for summer camp from July the 7th through the 10th. We be, believe camp is an important time for our students to build relationships and encourage one another to grow spiritually. We strongly encourage parents to send 
their senior high students to camp. Registration is open on the CBC website. You can register for any of these or learn more by texting CBC Connect to 97000. This is the part of our service where we acknowledge that all we have belongs to the Lord, and we who are members of CBC have purposed to set aside a portion of what God has entrusted to us each week to devote to the Lord's work. Let me remind those who have joined together as a church family at CBC of the ways you can give to our ongoing mission. You can give online at cbctrenton.com, our website, by clicking the Give graphic near the bottom of the page and follow the instructions. In the Church Center app, simply click the Give button in the main menu at the bottom of the page. Or you can use the donation box in our lobby located next to the welcome desk just outside these doors to my right, or there is another donation box outside the church office back this way, uh, right at the entry doors. And now Pastor Rich will come for the reading of the morning scripture. Our scripture reading this morning is in Titus 2, verses 1 through 5. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way that they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind and be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Let's stand as we sing, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. So we're singing His Mercy is More together this morning. Let's sing together.
Will you please turn in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 31, Proverbs 31, and our teens can be dismissed now to their class. That's going to be happening through uh, July until in August we go back to our regular schedule of two services on Sunday morning, worship, and then our Sunday school hour. Proverbs 31. Now, it may seem strange that we are in Proverbs 31 today, which, as some of you know, deals with the characteristics of a wife of noble character, especially since it's Father's Day. But you may recall that on Mother's Day, we spoke to the men, and I warned the ladies at that time that on Father's Day, I'd return the favor. So we're speaking to the ladies today as a sort of Father's Day gift to the guys. And I do wish a blessed Father's Day, though, to all of our men, whether you have biological children or not, because the passage in Titus chapter 2 that was read earlier suggests that in the church, older men are to be fathers to the younger men, just as older women are mothers to the younger women. And I do want to give a a shout-out to my father-in-law watching on live stream at home and thank him for being a dad to me. For these 37 years, especially since my father died when I was 11. So happy Father's Day, Dad. Now I've heard the, I'll call it observation, rather than complaint, from some ladies that teaching on Proverbs 31 and the Proverbs 31 superwoman on Mother's Day is depressing. Because I think it was said this way, who can measure up to that chick? (laughs) She can't be real. And as we go through the description today, it's going to be easy to assume she's not real, as you'll see all of her exploits and her accomplishments. And you have a point with her being a sort of superwoman, because coming at the end, the very end of the book of Proverbs, what it says about her embodies all that's been said in the previous 30 and a half chapters about wisdom that are then played out in real life, as we're going to see. But who really embodies all wisdom, this side of heaven? Only the Lord Jesus himself. So what we see in this portrait is an idealized version of what women should be. And not only women, but all of us really as we apply wisdom to life. But just because it's an ideal that we will not reach perfectly, it does not mean we should ignore it as irrelevant. After all, remember, the Bible tells us we're being conformed to the image of Christ. And that, likewise, is not going to happen fully until we're in heaven, but it does not mean that we should abandon progress toward that goal in this life, correct? And there are women who at least approximate this ideal woman in real life. We know that because she's described in verse 10 as having noble character. And here's what the Bible says. Boaz said of his soon-to-be wife, Ruth, all of the people of my town know that you are a woman of, and here's the same description for the real live Ruth, a woman of noble character. Ruth was a real person who embodied the character of the woman that we're going to see today, even if not all of her accomplishments. 
We should all then, all of us, men and women, all of us, view this portrait as one embodying the character which we, to which we should all aspire, and we should ask God to help us to do it. So let's bow for a moment and ask him to help us. Father, we thank you that we're here on this day that we set aside to honor fathers. And though some of our passage is going to be directed specifically at women, it's directed by your design to all of us. So help all of us to be attentive and focus our minds and open our hearts and change according to what you tell us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, you should have received an outline on the way in uh, when you came in, and we will have the outline points on the screen as we go through, and you can take notes if you so choose. Today, we're going to consider verses 10 through 31 in the last chapter of Proverbs, and that is 22 verses. Now, the reason the 22 verses is important is because this passage of 22 verses is a poem. And it's arranged as an acrostic with the first letter of each verse starting with one of the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet. Now that same thing is done a few times in the Bible, like in Psalm number 119. It's also done in Lamentations chapters 1 through 4, and it's done for a few reasons. One scholar has said it this way, doing this emphasized the importance and beauty of the topic. The very task of selecting words that fit the alphabetic structure was a labor of love, a self-imposed burden which the poet carried as a badge of his desire to offer a pleasing sacrifice to the wonder and winsomeness of womanhood. Second, the acrostic could serve as an aid to memory of the student whose recall of each successive verse would be triggered by which letter it had to begin with. Third, and perhaps uppermost in the mind of the artist, the acrostic was an expression of comprehensiveness. The topic was fully covered from A to Z, or from, in Hebrew, Aleph to Tau. And the very act of canvassing the alphabet demonstrated the completeness of the virtue, skills, and accomplishments of the ideal wife. Wisdom, the other dominant woman in Proverbs, and if you've been with us, for our series in Proverbs, you'll remember in the beginning chapters, we saw that wisdom was personified in, for example, Proverbs chapter 8. So wisdom, and personified as a woman, so wisdom, the other dominant woman in Proverbs, officially addressed her invitations and advice to the young men of Israel. And the book's been crammed with her words to these budding leaders of the land. But listening and watching all the while must have been a whole set of remarkable women. They sensed that neither giftedness nor righteousness were matters of gender. They grasped the truth that society's well-being rested on their shoulders as surely as on the backs of the men who held office. Quietly but steadily, they too ate at wisdom's table and found life and favor from the Lord. As they did, they took on wisdom's attributes and demonstrated both her beauty and her bounty. In turn, they became teachers proclaiming and demonstrating wisdom's sense of piety, prudence, and fairness. Because of their lives, wisdom's call to the people took on clarity and credibility. No wonder the sages, wise men that they were, found no better way to conclude their canon of wisdom than with profound counsel from this striking portrait of an excellent woman. This valiant wife has been canonized as a role model for all Israel for all time. Wise daughters aspire to be like her. Wise men seek to marry her. And all wise people aim to incarnate the wisdom she embodies, each in their own sphere of activity. So in those outlines that you should have, I say first of all this, wisdom is manifested in character. Verse 10 says, a wife of noble character who can find. She is worth far more than rubies. Now this word noble in this verse is sometimes translated valiant. A wife of valiant character or a valiant wife who can find. And it was used of those who had membership in a select group, including in a warrior class. 
For example, 2 Kings. The king of Babylon deported to Babylon the entire force of 7,000. And then it says this, fighting men strong and fit for war. Same word as in Proverbs 31 and verse 10. That's translated noble character, valiant, men of valor. In this case, a woman who is valiant and valorous. Another way to think of it, and perhaps clearest, is a woman of strength. It includes the physical strength needed to accomplish her work because verse 17 says she sets about her work vigorously. Her arms are strong for her task, but it most importantly refers to her strength of character. And so it says a wife of noble character. Who can find? Does not mean that there aren't any to be found, but that this kind of woman is not the norm, but rather the rare and precious exception. To the son that's been instructed throughout the book of Proverbs and warned about the seductive woman many times, he's here reminded that there are plenty such women like that in the world, but you're to search for one who meets the profile given in this chapter. And if the young man is selective and patient and prayerful in his selection of a wife, he's going to know the joy of what the next verses say. Verse 11. Her husband has full confidence in her and lacks nothing of value. She brings him good, not harm, all the days of her life. Her husband has full confidence. Full confidence is literally the heart of her husband trusts in her. Now here's what's interesting about that. The Bible condemns trust in anyone and anything other than God, except here. But the husband can trust, can place confidence in her as one who, according to verse 30, fears the Lord. So this suggests that the husband and wife enjoy a strong spiritual relationship. That's the kind of woman you're to be looking for, men. And that's the kind of woman you want to be, ladies. And really the kind of person we should all aspire to emulate. The extent of what she does for her husband is he lacks nothing. And the duration for which she does this good for him is in verse 12, all the days of her life. It means this, at each point in each year of her marriage, she does not fail her husband. Her commitment to his well-being is true, not false. It's constant, not temperamental. It's reliable, not fickle. And it's discerning what's best for him at any given time. So we should stop and ask ourselves, all of us, myself included, and not just our ladies then, whether we live for the good of others. And how will you know whether you're living for the good of others? Here's a way. Ask the others. Ask the people that are in your sphere of influence. Ask the people that are in your home. Ask your spouse what you can do to help them. What you can stop doing that impedes them. From a worldly standpoint, looking out for others means that it's a lack of pleasure for me, and therefore people don't want to engage in that. For them, it's a zero-sum game. What I do for you has no reward for me. But as we'll see, those who benefit from our service to them should, and sometimes do, let us know how much they've been helped. But here's the beautiful thing about Christian service to others. The Lord always rewards the good that we do in His name, always. And so the Bible says, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And so, although as I said last week, our identity, who we are, is not in what we do, what we do and how we do it does reflect our character. So wisdom is manifested in character. And, I say in the outline, it's demonstrated in life. Verses 13 to 24, long passage that detail the kinds of things a person of godly character does, all things being equal. 
Now, I say all things being equal because all things are not equal between people, and so there are circumstances that preclude one from being able to do some of these kinds of things that we're going to see. But this list assumes one who is able. If you're not able, then you're not expected to do them. Wisdom is demonstrated in all of life, including, I say in the outline, at home. Now, this list includes a, a diverse array of activities that take place in a variety of venues, but it's notable that the first location of her activity is the home. Whatever else any of us may do, if our hearts are not at home, then we have misplaced priorities. The passage that Pastor Rich uh, read earlier says the older women should urge the younger women to be busy at home. Now, some teachers for whom I have great respect have taught that women cannot work outside the home, that that's what this, this means. But as you go through this idealized woman in Proverbs 31, you find that that's just not the case. But it is true that no matter what our other endeavors may be in which we engage, home is always the most important, and the title homemaker is an honorable one. It appears that this woman has a home-based business. One that does, as we'll see, take her outside the home from time to time, but again, home is where her heart and her most important sphere of activity are located. Verse 13 says this, she selects wool and flax and works with eager hands. Selects wool means that there's a selective process, an evaluation, a thoughtful evaluation of the raw material for her work. And she does this work with, it says, eager hands. It means she's happy to do it for the sake of others. Now, the process of selecting wool and flax was complex. These are the raw materials for making clothes. And she sells these clothes, according to verse 20. The materials come from animals, the wool, and vegetation, the flax. Flax is a a plant that would grow to about 18 inches. And flax had to be pulled out with the root and dried on the roof. The wool had to be weighed, combed, and washed. And after the flax had been pulled out, it had to be soaked in water and then dried. Pieces of bark and wood were removed. The fibers gleaned from that process were pulled by hooks to split and arrange them. In other words, it was a careful and deliberate and time-consuming process. Verse 14 says, she is like the merchant ships, bringing her food from afar. Partly as a result of her commercial activity, she now has the means to buy for her family. In ancient societies, women who had acquired skills in spinning and weaving were greatly admired and desired. In some cases, a a good woolen garment would cost over two months' wages, and an expensive linen garment a half of a month's wages. So she has the wherewithal to purchase from local merchants what they have brought to market so that the food of her household is beyond the usual and includes even foreign delicacies. Verse 15 says, she gets up while it is still night. This getting up at night is the image of a lioness who literally hunts food by night, but the point is that she places the good of her household before her own comfort, and so she gets up early. And she provides, verse 15, food for her family and portions for her female servants. Her work, and undoubtedly that of her husband, has generated enough income that she's able to support some in the form of servants. Now, portions of that seem so foreign to us in that we don't usually make our own clothing, and often we don't make our own food. (laughs) So how does all of that apply then. Well, we should see in this the truth that in a home, we're all in the work, all of us in the home, of maintaining and strengthening it together. So we all contribute whether we generate income directly or indirectly. And each of us is to do that for the good of others. So whether you work a job outside the home or not, 
you're contributing to the income of that home and the well-being of that home. And so, husband, if you're the one who works outside the home and, you have, and you're blessed with a homemaker at home, then you should see the blessing that is and the contribution that it makes to that home. So whatever work we do, both men and women, it's for the benefit first of our homes. For those who generate income from a job or business, the economic contribution is obvious, but the housewife who plans meals and makes the lunches, does the laundry, keeps house, gets school-aged kids to class when schools meet in person, <laughs> and all the while perhaps cares for one or more little ones who are not in school, she is working as hard and sometimes harder than someone who goes to work and gets a paycheck. In doing that, she enables her husband to earn his wages, and both are doing it for their family. And if she has an enterprise outside of that, it too is to be done for the benefit of the family, always with home at the forefront. Wisdom is demonstrated at home and in business. Verse 16, she considers a field and buys it. Out of her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She carefully searches out a piece of land, checking it out from all angles, from which she can engage further commerce. And she has the money to do this because of her earnings from her home business. Verse 17 says she sets about her work vigorously, her arms are strong for her tasks. Even though this is a wealthy woman who can employ servants, she sees the value of work and she still does it, even though she could have other people do it. In the Bible, we see wealthy women like Abraham's wife, Sarah, Isaac's wife, Rebecca, Jacob's wife, Rachel, doing manual, even menial labor. She's physically able to do this and becomes more physically able the more she works. She has strength for her work and she increases endurance from her work. Verse 18 says she sees that her trading is profitable and her lamp does not go out at night. Her work results in profit, food for her table, and produce from her vineyard. And then it says her lamp does not go out at night. That's another one of those superwoman kind of phrases. Everybody goes, okay, she gets up early and she's got strong arms and she goes and buys stuff and all of that. And then she doesn't go to sleep as well. That's the way that's been translated. It doesn't mean she works all night. But rather this, because she has the money, she can keep the lights on all night. So notice again that the fruit of the labor is seen in the home first. It's not the career outside the home. It's not for fulfillment because you cannot find it at home. It's for the benefit of the household, and success shows up there first and foremost. Wisdom is demonstrated at home, in business, and... In benevolence. Verse 19, in her hand she holds the distaff and grasps the spindle with her fingers. Verse 19 is summarizing the first half of this profile of the wise person seen here as a wife, repeating what it is that primarily provides her income, the making of clothes. Back in verse 13 we were told this valiant wife selects the raw wool and flax for her materials. Now verse 19 refers to what she does with it in making thread and ultimately clothing. And this verse in turn introduces the next eight verses, which are about what this income produces, that is what it accomplishes in addition to the benefits it gives in the home. Here's one of those, verse 20. She opens her arms to the poor and extends her hands to the needy. She and her husband have created what I call margin so that they have to give. They've created margin in their income so that they have in order to give. Their income is not primarily for their next exotic vacation. It's not primarily to indulge in frivolous and ultimately meaningless pleasures. Rather, it's designed to do good that will last in the lives of others, first at home, but also outside of it. 
In this case, it's to supply for material needs. They've created margin in their income. But margin can and should, friends, include not only money, but resources like time. That is, you arrange your affairs so that you have time for others, just as you arrange your finances so that you have money for others. We have, at the church, a benevolence fund. That's a means for you to do this with your money. And it's a good way because it's overseen by our leadership team who can discern those who are truly needy. But arranging your life so that you can help with a meeting to encourage or advise is likewise a way to help those in need spiritually. Verse 21 says, when it snows, she has no fear of her household, no fear for her household, for all of them are clothed in scarlet. Yet again, although her work benefits others, it is first for her own home. The Bible has this sort of prioritization in other places. For example, Galatians 6 says, As we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So the Bible is saying, as you have the ability and the opportunity, do good to everybody, but prioritize it. Prioritize it first with those who are in the household of faith, the family of believers. That's why we have a benevolence fund. The Bible's priorities for benevolence are your household, your church family, and then others. And this verse is saying, when the winter rainy season in Palestine comes, as it does through November, from November to February, she's prepared for her family so that they'll be safe from the cold because they're clothed in costly wool that she's produced through her work for them. So wisdom is demonstrated at home, in business, in benevolence, and I say in the outline, in society at large, in society. Verse 22, she makes coverings for her bed. She is clothed in fine linen and purple. This work that's done for her family and for others also benefits her personally. Though that's not the motive, it is the benefit, the result. But the next two verses show the impact good work has on others beyond the poor and the needy. Verse 23, her husband is respected at the city gate where he takes his seat among the elders of the land. Now the city gate is where the leaders of the city were located to provide authoritative counsel and teaching and judgment. So the husband is a city leader. He's respected in part because of his partnership with his wife. Her attention to the home has made it possible for him to do his work outside it. He doesn't have to worry that things are attended to. And she's decked him out in fine clothing, so he looks the part as well. And finally, he has prestige because he's married to her. Verse 31 says she is praised in the city gate. So she is known by his colleagues, and what they know of her only enhances his reputation. I am convinced that people think better of me, that my reputation, such as it is, <laughs> is enhanced because of my wife. I mean that. And that's because they see her wealth of wisdom and kindness, and some of that admiration for her rubs off on me. He can't be that much of a loser, or he would have never landed her. No, but really, I mean that. And also because she never says or does anything that detracts from my reputation. Quite the contrary. Always and conscientiously seeking to enhance it. Verse 24. She makes linen garments and sells them and supplies the merchants with sashes. Her work enhances society because it's central to the economy that allows other business persons to do their work, is what it's saying. So wisdom is manifested in character, it's demonstrated in life, and vindicated in success. Verse 25, she is clothed with strength and dignity, she can laugh at the days to come. 
She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. She watches over the affairs of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Now verse 27 continues what's said in verse 26 because as a teacher, she keeps a sharp lookout over the affairs of her household, ready to make right anything that's going wrong and to maintain the home's orderly arrangement. With regard to the children, she provides instruction and she exercises authority. And her wise husband celebrates her wisdom in these next few verses, as we'll see as well. Old Testament scholar Bruce Waltke says of verse 27 that that first line, she watches over the affairs of her household, in addition to saying that she keeps vigil to ensure that everything is going well, is connected with her wisdom and her teaching in verse 26 in a way that says this, all the affairs of her household are wisdom and instruction. All the affairs of her household are wisdom and instruction. What a great thing to be able to say. Verse 27 summarizes the character of her contributions to her household. Her very way of life teaches wisdom so deeply rooted, it's in who she is. And so because of that, verse 28, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her this way, many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceptive and beauty is fleeting, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Honor her for all that her hands have done and let her works bring praise at the city gate. So far, from verses 10 through 27, the passage has emphasis, as emphasis on what has been the blessings that she bestows on her husband and her household. But this conclusion now, in verses 28 to 31, are about the good that comes to her. She has done such good that now her husband praises her to give her public honor. In verse 24, she supplies her works to others. In verse 31, her works extol her. In verse 16, the fruit of her labor allows her the income to invest to enrich her husband by buying a field. But now in verse 31, what her hands have done refers to the praise that, er that that earlier investment brings to her. And she gets up early in verse 15 to provide for her household. Now in verse 28, they're the ones who arise to give her public honor. The city gate which was one place where her good works bore fruit, now becomes the place where her works praise her. In some friends, the woman so concerned for others now becomes the central concern and praise of others. The woman who otherwise has no fear, according to verse 21, is said to be a woman who fears the Lord in verse 30. And so I've titled this message, you see at the top of your outline? Above the Mean Girls. And that's a double entendre saying that, yeah, ladies, all of us, want to be above the character of the Mean Girls. But you know mean also means the average? Above the average. Above the mean. Girls. And guys and all of us. God has called all of us to not simply be what the culture is producing. God has called all of us, men and women, to be something radically different that will always be in the minority. You can find plenty of the going cultural model out there, but a woman who fears the Lord is a rare jewel indeed. But as you go through all of this, men and women, it's right to ask yourself, how do I ever approximate that? This side of heaven, as I said at the beginning, you won't. I won't. But we are to make progress. And it may help you to know that the Apostle Paul himself was concerned about his own ministry and whether or not he could do what the Lord had assigned to him. 
In fact, he asked this in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, who is equal to such a task? And here was his answer. We are not. <laughs> we are not competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. But our competence comes from God. Listen, if you want to honor God as a man, as a woman, in the role that God has assigned to you, daunting though it is in a fallen world such as we live in, you commit yourself to the Lord God. You be someone who fears, reveres, is in awe of the Lord. You commit those tasks that He's assigned to you to Him, and He will produce His fruit through you. And He wants it to be a daunting task, friends. Did you know that? He wants it to be above your pay grade. He wants it to be things you can't do in and of yourself. You know why? Because if it were within your own strength, guess who gets the credit? But since it's not, when God produces the fruit that only He can, then He gets the glory that He desires and deserves. And when He does that work, it's a marvelous thing. And I say then in your take-home truth, God's wisdom creates a beautiful life. Let's bow before the Lord. Father, we again thank you for the opportunity to be in your presence, gathered as your people, to open your word and to be instructed therein. We thank you for this profile of a godly woman, but really one who embodies the principles of wisdom that are throughout the 30 chapters of your book of wisdom, and so applicable to me, applicable to all of us, men or women. Lord, help us then to be Cultivate within us a heart that desires to please you in everything that we do. Starting at home, moving outward into business and out into society. And Lord, as a result of that desire, you will do your work through us. You accomplish your work through willing people. And so I pray that right now that there are folks who are recommitting themselves to the tasks that you've assigned to us, especially in our homes, each of us working together to produce the beautiful thing that honors you in a husband, in a wife, and in children. As a result of this, Lord, may you grow us so that we reflect you clearly to those in our homes, to those in our workplaces, to those in our communities. And as a result as well, may we pass on the baton to the next generation who will do likewise for your glory. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand now for our closing song.
This is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Thank you, CBC family and guests, for being with us. Have a great week serving.